11, Romans chapter 11, uh, what we've been looking at over the past few weeks is um, God's timetable. Uh, a lot of people have kind of asked the question nervously, what in the world is going on? With what's happening in the Middle East, people have asked the question, is this prophetical? Should we be concerned? What is happening? And what we need to understand is that God has actually given us a timetable for uh, events that are taking place in the world. And he's done that through um, the feasts that he instituted uh, for Israel. There are seven feasts that Israel celebrate. And they are split up into um, two. There are the spring feasts, uh, and they are Pentecost, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. And then there are the autumn feasts, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles. What we've been looking at is what did God do with these feasts? Why did he institute them in the first place? Um, what Christ would do in terms of fulfilling these feasts, and then what we should be, as, what we should be doing as a result. Uh, because we don't celebrate those feasts now as Christians, so what do they mean to us? What, or, you know, what does Passover mean to us? And um, We've looked at how God instituted uh, the feasts of Passover to, to celebrate the, the deliverance of Israel from that last plague, and leavened bread to celebrate uh, Israel's deliverance from Egypt as they came out uh, and were freed from bondage. Uh, first fruits was celebrating the, the harvest of that, uh, that first harvest. Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, celebrated a, a, a different harvest. Uh, but we saw how Christ fulfilled those feasts at his first coming. Um, even though Passover celebrated the protection during the last plague, Christ is our Passover lamb. He was described as that Passover lamb. John the Baptist said that this was the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the lamb was meant to be looked at and, and, and scrutinized, because it had to be a perfect lamb, it was looked at for four days before it was sacrificed. Well, when Christ came into Jerusalem on what we term as Palm Sunday, for four days they watched his life uh, meticulously. And he was without error. He was without sin. He was perfect. And he died upon the cross of Calvary and gave his life at the exact time that the Passover lamb was being offered in the temple. So he fulfilled Passover. He fulfilled um, unleavened bread as he was placed in the tomb. And on the feast of first fruits, the celebration of that harvest, he rose from the dead on the exact day uh, that that feast was being celebrated. Fifty days later, then, we had the feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, and it celebrates the second harvest. There was a wheat harvest and a barley harvest. Uh, and what happened on the day of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit was given. Uh, some would say that that was the day that the church was born, and there was two offerings given at the Feast of Weeks. There was a, a, an unleavened bread, and there was leavened bread offered. And that just represented Israel and the Gentiles coming together as the church. Now there is, um, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free. Um, you're either lost or you are saved. And that's what happens today. Now then, that said, a lot of people 
might then question, well, if there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, does that mean that there is no future for Israel? Does that mean that God has finished with our nation and that the church now has in some way replaced what was God's promised people? And that's what we're looking at at the moment, that gap between the spring feasts, um, the first four spring feasts, and then the autumn feast. Christ fulfilled the spring feast at his first coming, but he won't fulfill the autumn feast, that's trumpets, um, day of atonement, Yom Kippur, or tabernacles. He won't fulfill them until his second coming. So between the spring feast and the autumn feast, there's a gap. Between the Lord's first coming and his second coming, there is a gap. We are living in that gap right now. So we've looked at the same principle. What did God do? What would Christ do? What should we be doing? So what did God do with this gap? Um, We realize that God has made a covenant with Israel. Those covenants, um, uh, only one covenant was conditional. The Mosaic covenant, if you do this, then I'll do this. If you obey my voice, I'll bless you. If you disobey, then you'll be punished. We saw that today where Israel was carried into captivity by the Assyrians. That was part of that punishment. Um, So we made covenants with the nation of Israel. The Abrahamic, the Davidic, the land, and the new covenant were unconditional. God said to Abraham, I'll make of you a great nation. It doesn't matter what you do. It's an unconditional covenant. I'll make you a great nation. He said to David, somebody from you line will sit on you a throne forever. It doesn't matter what you do. It's an unconditional covenant. You will have the land. Uh, and again, the, the land that is described in the scripture is from the Euphrates um, to the sea. Uh, that's the land that I promise you. Unconditional. Um, so it didn't matter what Israel did. God had made these covenants. So that's what God did. What did Christ do? Christ came to this world and fulfilled the law. He didn't fulfill the covenants. He just fulfilled the law. God's law demanded that sin was paid for. Man can't pay for sin. We don't have the bank balance. We are spiritually bankrupt. We can't afford to pay for our own sin. So Christ came as the perfect man, fully man, fully God, fulfilled the law, was the perfect sacrifice, and he died upon the cross for our sins. So he fulfilled the law, and he also preached the kingdom. So what should we be doing? That's what we come to. What should we be doing in this gap? Because every time something has happened, um, we kind of try and read the Bible into it. First world war took place. Well, this must be the end of the world, and therefore it's got to be the second world war, the same. Every time something new is invented, you know, when barcodes came out, that's the mark of the beast. Barcodes is the mark of the beast, because you look at the lines, and they're in, they're in sets of three, and, and, and you, barcodes are the mark of the beast. And then RFDI chips are marks of the beast. And then the COVID vaccine was the mark of the beast. You know, we can get so stressed out about everything that's going on in the world that we try and fit that with what the Bible says, and the Bible doesn't say any such thing. So what should we be doing at this time during this gap period since the Lord's first come in and before he comes back? 
Well, Romans 11, we looked at Romans 11 um, last week, uh, last time, and uh, we saw how the church has not replaced Israel. Paul called several witnesses to the stand. Paul used his own testimony in Romans 11, and he says this in verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the, the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession of God against Israel, saying. Uh, so what Paul is saying here is that God has not cast away his people, Israel. The church has not replaced his people, Israel. Uh, and Paul called several people to the witness stand. Paul called himself to the witness stand. And he, his testimony is recorded in the scripture three times. So that shows that Paul's testimony is important. And what Paul said was, is, look, the way in which Paul was saved is an indication that one day Israel will be saved in the exact manner. We are not saved like Paul was saved. Um, we haven't seen the, and heard the Lord's audible voice speaking from heaven. We haven't been blinded um, by a light. We're not saved in that manner. Each of our salvation experiences are different. For some of you, for those who were terrible, awful, wicked, disgusting sinners, your salvation experience was different to those of us who were a lot nicer than you were before you were saved. For you, it was a big change. For some of us, it wasn't as big a change because we weren't as wicked as you were. For some, we were saved in a church service. You, were, you sat in church and the preacher spoke and you were convicted and you, know, you asked the Lord there and then to save you. For, for others, I've heard of people who were saved you know, in a bar. They were struggling with, uh, with what they should do and they'd gone uh, to really kind of I suppose, drown their sorrows away from getting rid of what was going on in their head, and then and then they accepted the Lord, and they walked out of the bar and never went back. Each of our salvation experiences is different. And what Paul is saying is, is look, he said, as an Israelite, as the way in which I was saved, this proves that God is not finished with Israel, because one day, Israel will be saved just like I was saved. So he used himself as a witness. Uh, he used Elijah as a witness. He used us Gentiles as a witness to show that God has not finished um, with Israel. Uh, and what I want to look at, uh, I just want to look at, um, from verse 25, I just want to look at um, God as the final witness in regards to the fact that the church has not replaced Israel, and that God still has a plan and a purpose for his people. So God uh, calls, um, uh, or Paul, sorry, calls God himself as a witness, uh, and he talks about God's timing in verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. What has happened to Israel is part of God's plan. He knows what he was doing. And here's the thing. Prior to 1948, 
Christians who believed in a future for Israel were absolutely ridiculed because they weren't a state, uh, because they weren't back in the land. And anybody who held a biblical view of even end times were absolutely ridiculed because they said, well, that can't happen because there's no such thing as Israel. You know, the Bible talks about a nation being born in a day, and they didn't even, you know, they didn't even have a name for themselves. Um, they didn't know what they were going to call themselves until they kind of settled upon Israel. Um, but what God is saying here is, is that he knows what he's doing, uh, that Israel might be blind at the moment, but it's a, it's a temporary thing. It's not final. Um, and that blindness will last until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So what does that mean? At this moment in time, God in his grace is using us as Gentiles and he's taking a people out for his name. Now then, that is not to say that the Jewish people can't be saved because we said earlier that there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free. You're either saved or you are lost. There is no difference. Um, you're either a child of God or you're not. You're either headed to heaven or you are not. And we have an incredible privilege. You know, when you think we can get all frustrated with, um, and there is, there is a, a lot of anti-Semitism in the world today. You know, when you, you look at some of the things um, that has even taken place amongst the Jewish people from biblical times, um, where they have tried to wipe that people from the face of the earth. That's something Satan has tried to do from the very beginning. Why? Because if he can achieve in doing that, then he can make God out to be a liar. Because God promised Abraham that his seed would be as many as the stars of the sky and as many as the sand that covered the shore. But if Satan can do away with that, then he can make God out to be a liar to say, well, you have promised to Abraham meant nothing. You have promised to Abraham was worthless. And it's the same, you know, Satan doesn't change his tactics because that's the one thing he does with us. You know, when, when we are struggling and when we find difficulty, what does Satan do? He comes alongside and says, you need to stop believing in the promises of God. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever had that whisper in your ear that your salvation wasn't real? That you didn't really mean what you said? Could God really save you just with a prayer? Did you mean what you said and therefore might you not be saved? Well, what is Satan doing? Satan's trying to get us to doubt the promises of God because God's promise is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's his promise. Uh, Titus says that God who cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. And God made a promise to us that if we call on his name, we'd be saved. God made a promise to us that uh, whoever trusts in him, no man will ever take him out of the Father's hand. That's God's promise. But what Satan does is Satan comes along and says, can you really believe that? Surely what you've done now is, is going to be uh, enough to take you out of the Father's hand. 
if God really loved you, why are you going through that? If God really loved you, why are you going through those difficulties? If God really loved you, why have you lost your job? Why are you struggling financially? Why are you struggling with your health? Why are you struggling with this grief? If God loved you, and all Satan is doing is trying to get us to doubt the promises of God, and if we doubt the promises of God, then we doubt the person of God. And if we doubt the person of God, we then start to doubt the relationship that we have with him. Once, once you lose faith in someone's words, it's really hard to get that back. You know somebody that, uh, anybody that's, that's promised to do something for you and has hurt you? Well, let me put it this way. Let's put it in a simple term. Um, you've, you've paid for a builder to come to the house and, and do some work. And then he says, yeah, I can't make it today. I'll come tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I can't make it today. I, I, you know, I'll, come, I'll come in a week's time. Oh, I can't make it today. I'll come. It gets to a point where you're like, mm, I'm going to have to find another builder. And you start then to doubt their word. What Satan wants us to do is to doubt God's word to the point that we'll just find another builder. And then we look as the children of Israel did, the northern king of Israel did this morning, then they look to the world and other gods for help. Satan just wants us to doubt the promises of God. He wants us to doubt the word of God. And that problem we have today, and the, and the reason why the church is in such a mess, and the reason why the church believes so much nonsense, is because we just doubt the word of God. You know, it's even coming up now with gender-neutral Bibles. I'm like, good night. You know, is God really a man? let's not upset the crowd now, so let's make God gender neutral. Well, I'm still going to pray to my Father in heaven. But what's happening? The word of God is being changed. Uh, And Satan is trying to change the word. If we don't know what we believe... Uh, Pastor Ed used to say, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. If we're not grounded in what we believe, then what's happening in the world today, we'll start looking at these events, and we'll start panicking, and we'll start worrying. And then we'll start saying, oh, maybe God's word is not right, because this is happening in the world, because these wars are going on. Listen, wars are not anything new. The Lord Jesus Christ said there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. I think I said a couple of weeks ago that for every year of peace that this world has ever known since recorded history began, for every one year of peace, there's been 13 years of war. This world is always at war. Why? Because of sin. Because that's what sinful man does. He looks across there and says, I want that. I'm going to take you. And, and the thing is, if we are not grounded in the word of God, if we haven't got that foundation, uh, as with anything, if there's not a solid foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ said, if you build your life upon the, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you build your life upon the word of God, then that's like a foundation built upon a solid rock. But if you don't do that, if you try and build that foundation with the uh, you know, the, the, the philosophies of the world, then that's going to be like building upon sand, unstable, shifting. And what happens then, it's just going to crack. 
When we are grounded in the word of God, we look at what's going on in the world around us and we don't lose heart and think, oh no, God doesn't know what he's doing. We simply look at the world and say, do you know what? God has still got everything under control. He said that the Jewish people, Israel, would be blind until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. There's two great expressions in the Bible when it comes to the Gentiles. Uh, the one expression is the times of the Gentiles in Luke 21, 24. And then the other expression here is the fullness of the Gentiles. The two expressions are similar, but they're not the same. The times of the Gentiles has to do with the period of time that Jerusalem is under Gentile power. That period began with Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, at the time that Nebuchadnezzar carried um, the, the children of Judah out of Jerusalem, that was the start of the times of the Gentiles. And that will continue until the Lord Jesus Christ returns, rebuilds the temple, and sets up his throne for the millennial kingdom and fulfills the three feasts that we'll be talking about starting next week. Um, so that is the time of the Gentiles. Um, so the time of the Gentiles has to do with the political ascendancy of the Gentiles, Nebuchadnezzar being the first Gentile sovereign. In contrast to this, Paul here is talking about the fullness of the Gentiles. And that has to do not with the political ascendancy of the Gentiles, that has to do with the spiritual ascendancy of the Gentiles. When Israel um, crowned all its former rebellions with the crucifixion of the Messiah and endorsed that act by resisting the Holy Spirit, God took away from that nation their spiritual privileges. Um, the book of Acts, the emphasis of the book of Acts, remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, and that's what happened. You look at what happened in Jerusalem at the start. Um, and Peter preached that great message. Thousands and thousands were saved in Jerusalem. Uh, then we see the gospel spread. And we see Philip uh, in Samaria. Uh, incredible revival going on in Samaria. And then when Paul comes on the scene, we see that gospel go to the entire world. And we see a, a spiritual ascendancy of the Gentiles. If I was to say to you today, how much of the church is made up of Gentile people, non-Jewish people, what would you say? Well, most of it. Um, so you see the, the spiritual ascendancy of the Gentiles. That doesn't mean that the church has replaced Israel, and that God is done away with that people. The fullness of the Gentiles refers to the spiritual blessing of the Gentiles described by Peter in the words of Acts 15, 14. God at first um, did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. So when will the fullness of the Gentiles be complete? So let me ask you this question. When will, the, when will the church 
no longer be the church? When it disappears. When will the church disappear? At the rapture. So when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that will be the rapture. Again, we're talking about God's timing, that God has not replaced Israel. At this moment in time, the Gentiles have a spiritual ascendancy, but at the rapture, the focus will then shift back to Israel. The tribulation. Um, what is the tribulation known as? A time of what trouble? Jacob's trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble. The tribulation is primarily for the Jewish people so that the nation, similar to how Paul was saved, so that the nation can be saved and then come into the right relationship with God that was meant for them. Um, so the, 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 at the, during the tribulation, let me ask this question at the moment. At the moment, who is doing the majority of the witnessing? Jewish people or Gentile people? Gentile people, just because they make up, you know, the, the biggest part of the church. During the tribulation period, who's doing most of the witnessing? Jewish people. Why? Remember we said this morning, 12,000 of each tribe witnesses. There's the 144,000 witnesses. Listen, popular to, those who not, uh, to the belief of those who knock on your doors, the Jehovah's Witnesses are not the 144,000. I'm sorry to burst the bubble, uh, but they're not. The first thing I ever say to a, to, a, to a Jehovah's Witness when they talk about that is, first of all, are they Jewish? Are they a man? And are they a virgin? Because that is the requirement of the witnesses in the book of Revelation. They are 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of, of, of Israel, and they are male Jewish virgins. And they evangelize the world. And the world, through their witness, millions will come to know Christ as their Savior during the time of the tribulation. So this state of blindness, Paul said, we're talking about God's timing here, he says, I would not be ignorant of this mystery that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. Paul is basically saying this, listen, Israel is going to be blind right up until the rapture. When the rapture takes place and the church goes and the, and, and the vast majority of, of, you know, because it's going to be Gentile believers goes, at that point, the scales are going to be removed, and then Israel's eyes will be opened. Now, I understand people will still be deceived. They'll sign a covenant with the, uh, the beast. The temple will be rebuilt. There'll be the sacrificial system uh, reinstituted. But the 144,000 will evangelize the world. So this state of affairs uh, continues until the rapture. Uh, and in verse 26, it says, And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written, they shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. God knows what time it is. You know, there's a, I, I don't know what, I don't know what the time is at the minute now. And, and I, for those who are going to say quarter to seven, that's not what I'm on about. Um, but I think um, there's an atomic clock and, and it's always set, like, it's usually set at, like, five minutes to midnight or something. It's basically describing how close we are to the end of the world. Has, has anybody ever heard of that? 
Okay, says looking panicked. No, you're all right. Oh, you use the digital clock. See so um, So yeah, there's this clock apparently that's set, uh, and at the moment, I believe that it's not just minutes left to the end of the world; it's seconds. Now that's not coming from a biblical point of view. That's coming from a secular point of view. So even secular people realize this world is close. With what's going on um, with, with Putin in Russia, with what's going on in the Middle East, with what, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I wouldn't trust Joe Biden with a remote control to the telly, let alone the nuclear button, and I'm not sure I would pretty much trust the guy coming in behind him. Much better either, but that's another story. But you can see how close we are to like, this could turn out really, really bad. But as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't look at the world then and think, oh, my days, what is going to happen? This is, this is all a panic. No, we recognize that God has got things under control. And that there's going to come a time when the Lord Jesus Christ will return for his church. He'll return for his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. Israel is the bride of God. You see that um, demonstrated in the book of Hosea. So God has made a promise. Not only do we know that Israel has not been replaced by the church because of God's timing, we see it in God's promise. In verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, they shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. God has made a promise. Can God lie? No, it is impossible for God to lie. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. So God, he cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And God said, I will take away their sins. This is my covenant to them. I will take away their sins. Um, so we recognize the fact that God has not uh, has not forsaken Israel. In verse 29, it says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He uh, doesn't change. God's calling of Israel can't be taken back. God's calling of Israel can't be changed because if it did, if the church did replace Israel, then God is not true to his word. God cannot be trusted. And if God can't be trusted with that promise, can he be trusted with the promise he made in John 3.16? Can he be trusted in the promises that he made to us to never leave us and never forsake us? God can't lie. He doesn't change. God has called Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that Israel at this time is absolutely perfect. That's, that's not what we are saying. But Israel still belongs to God and God still has a purpose for the nation of Israel. Um, we see um, God's wisdom. Uh, sorry, we see God's grace. In verse 30, it says, For as ye in times past have not believed God, ye have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they may also obtain mercy. Paul repeatedly reminded the Gentiles that we have a spiritual obligation towards Israel. We are here 
primarily because of Israel's unbelief. Salvation is to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. Um, we are here as a result of um, Israel's unbelief. Um, but our purpose, what we should be doing in this gap period from the Lord's first coming to the Lord's second coming, we are meant to provoke Israel to jealousy. Paul keeps reminding us that time and time and time again. Why? Because we have the type of relationship with Jehovah God that they are desperate to have. Remember when God built the tabernacle in the wilderness? Why did he do it? So he could dwell among his people. That was the purpose. Uh, the purpose of creating Adam and Eve in the first place was so he could walk in fellowship with Adam and Eve uh, so that he could dwell among his people. That is God's purpose. He wants to dwell among his people. Well, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we get saved, God doesn't dwell with us. God dwells in us. So the relationship that Israel desperately wants with their God, we, as the church, have. And we are meant to provoke them to jealousy. But what do we do? We persecute them. You would be amazed at how many people, every time we've gone to Israel, and I've heard people witness to, to people in Israel, and they've said, we are from the church, but we need you to know that we love the Jewish people. They're like, what? Most people hate us. Most people want nothing to do with us. Most churches want nothing to do with us. And that kind of catches them off guard to know that the church actually loves the Jewish people. We're meant to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Paul said that his heart's desire the one thing that he wanted more than anything was that Israel would be saved. Now what Israel needs today, it needs to be saved. It needs to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Because we're in that dispensation of grace. We're in that church age at the moment. We're in that gap between the Lord's first coming and he fulfilled those spring feasts. And we're in that gap between his second coming where he'll fulfill the autumn feasts. And what we are meant to be doing right now is praying for the peace of Jerusalem. What we're meant to be doing right now is provoking them to jealousy, to the fact that they can see the relationship that we have with God. We should be provoking everyone to jealousy with the relationship that we have with the Lord. You know, when people see us in work and they see us react to a situation or a difficulty we go through in life, what we ought to be doing to them is provoking them to jealousy so they say, how do you cope with that? How can you have that smile on your face? How have you still got that spring in your step? How have you still got that joy all over you even though you're going through that difficulty? Because of him. Because of the relationship that I have with him. God says uh, in verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his, his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Having contemplated God's great plan of salvation for Jew and Gentile, all Paul could do was go, 
<laughs> God's incredible. Do you know what? I, I don't understand everything that goes on in the world. You know, you, you look at the world, you think, you just see injustices left, right, and center. You, you see some people getting away with everything, and then you see some people who are being kind of like charged with everything. You see some people getting away with some things, and you think there's so much injustice in the world. There's so much hatred in the world. There's so much wickedness in the world. And that can cause us to lose heart. But what Paul does, he looks at God, and you know, a lot of people will look at what's going on in the world, and they would just simply say, well, God hasn't got a clue what's happening, and therefore, if this is what's going on, there must not be a God. But God has got everything in control. And Paul just says, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of God. Paul might even go as far to say, I have not got a clue what's going to happen or what is happening. But what I'm thankful of is that I serve a God who knows exactly what's happening. Only a God as wise as our God could take the fall of Israel and turn it into the salvation of the whole world. No human being could know the mind of God. If it was up to us to say, right, I want you to come up with a plan of salvation. Something that's going to suit everybody from every race and religion and, and part of the world. You come up with a plan to satisfy everybody. Listen, you get three people in a room. And those three people are not going to agree on everything. Uh, how, how many of you driving in the car? With your beloved one next to you. Why is it the one in the passenger seat is always a better driver than the one behind the steering wheel? Do you know the worst, the worst thing about having this surgery is not being able to drive for two weeks. The worst thing about not being able to drive for two weeks is being a passenger in anybody's car. I think Joe was quite pleased when I was given the all clear to drive the hand the keys over to me because I just stopped stressing it out. But it is, you get, you get, you get people in, in a room, you're not going to agree on everything. If we had to come up with a plan of salvation, we wouldn't be able to do it. God's plan of salvation is perfect. And it is perfect for the whole world. It is perfect no matter how well off you are. It is perfect no matter how destitute you are. It is perfect no matter how good you are. It is perfect no matter how bad you are. It is perfect no matter where you come from, how young you are or how old you are. God's plan of salvation is perfect. What should we be doing in this gap? Just occupy until he comes. It's not rocket science. He's told us to go into the world and preach the gospel. The gospel is just the good news, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. We're just meant to occupy till he comes. We're meant to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just meant to partake of communion of the Lord's Supper to remember and commemorate his death until he comes. We're meant to share what he's done with a lost and dying world to say that you too can have the hope that is within us. You too can know the joy that the Lord can bring because of what he offers in terms of salvation and the forgiveness of sin and for the weight of all of that to be taken from off our shoulders. We're not meant to know everything that's going on in the world. 
We're not meant to be able to work everything out and say, right, because, you know, because Hamas has done this now on October the 7th, and because Israel has answered with this, and because this is going on in, in Lebanon, and this is going on in Iran, and this is going on in the Red Sea, and this is going on in Ukraine, and this is going on at the, the, the American border, and because this is going on, we can, we're not meant to work everything out. We're just meant to trust the Lord. He knows what he's doing. One day this gap is going to come to an end. Israel, in part right now, is blind until the fullness of the Gentiles, until the church is raptured. And that could happen at any moment. Brother Andrew spoke about that last week, you know, when Paul said, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain. Paul was expecting the rapture back in the first century, because there was nothing else prophetically left to be fulfilled for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. So the Lord could return at any moment. The Lord could come back tonight. You know, we talk about salvation, and people think, well, you know, I've got, I've got years to decide whether or not to become a Christian. I'm only in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. I've still got plenty of time. 80s. Oh, plenty of time. I'm making that decision tomorrow. You might have tomorrow in regards to your health. But what if the Lord came back tonight? And the church was caught up to glory to be with the Lord. Would you be left behind? If you're left behind, you think things in the world are bad now. You read the book of Revelation, things are going to get a million times worse. God's undiluted wrath is poured out upon the earth for seven years. God doesn't want you to go through that. God wants you to know his son as your savior. Do you know him tonight? What should we be doing in this gap? As a church, we should be witnessing to the lost. We're not called to enter into politics in that regards. We're just meant to preach the gospel. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, can I just say this to you? You might have your health tomorrow, but you might never have another opportunity to accept the Lord as your Savior. Because if he comes back and you've heard the gospel, you won't ever have another opportunity to accept, to believe, to trust. Now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. If you were lost, you need to trust him right now before it's too late. If you were saved, what should he be doing in this gap? Just occupy till he comes. Just look for his coming. Looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just look for his appearing. Occupy till he comes. Preach the gospel to every creature. Just keep going. Don't look at the world and get disheartened and think, oh no, the, you know, it's like chicken little in there. The sky's falling in, the sky's falling in. Just keep going. Just preach the word. He's not come back yet. It's not over till that trumpet sounds. So until that trumpet sounds, you keep doing what you're doing and you keep preaching the word and you keep serving the Lord and you keep reading the word and you keep praying and you keep telling as many people as you can that there is only hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. Use that gap wisely and be all you can for the Lord because somebody you know needs to hear 
what you have in terms of your walk with the Lord. Father, we thank you again for this time together tonight and for this opportunity to come around your word, Lord. We just pray you'd continue to speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, help us to not be disheartened when we look at what's going on in the world today. Help us to not lose heart when we recognize that the wickedness and the evil that is surrounding us on a daily basis, we are just bombarded by wickedness. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed firmly upon the Lord Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Help us to just keep him firmly in view. And as a result, we might be able to occupy until he comes. That we might be able to be a witness and a testimony to a lost and dying world around us. Father, we just pray and ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our last hymn together. And during the last verse of the hymn, I'm going to ask Jamie to come forward then and close us in a word of prayer. Amen.
Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that we can uh, gather together in this way again. Thankful that we can call you Lord and Savior tonight. We are thankful, Lord, that we can come and claim uh, the great invitation and great promise of salvation if we would come to you in repentance and faith, Lord. We are thankful that in a, a world of chaos, we have a God that is in control and knows the beginning and the end of all things. Father, be with us this week. Help us, Lord, to meditate upon thy word, to continue in it, and be doers of it. For thy glory's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.